My name is Rachel White, and people call me the Skeptical Shaman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal heavy people, searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole, all while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody, the curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together, we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Skeptical Shaman. I am your host, the perennially joyful, positive, optimistic, and uplifting Rachel White. And I am joined today by someone who gets that joke. <laughs> and her name is Kate Waldwick. Uh, Kate is an extraordinary human being who has a grasp of astrology that I've not seen in anyone else ever. Totally different line of sight into how astrology and birth charts work. And Kate, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit before we get into what the fuck the planets are doing and what's going on and why Mercury being in Gatorade is such a problem for our internet connection. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. So a little bit about me. I'll first talk about who I am on LinkedIn and then talk about who I am as a human. Uh, I love so, that because they are two things. They I really are. You merged my my personas on LinkedIn and it did not go well. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty wild. I've been grappling with like, how do you actually merge those? I haven't figured it out yet. But um, so a little bit about my background. I have been an astrologer for almost four years now, uh, really started at the about two months before the pandemic started. I kind of got into it on a whim. I entered it as a bit of a actually is a deep skeptic of, you know, I'd seen horoscopes, things like that before, but really didn't get into astrology until my late 20s, when really going through this you know, intense phase of disillusionment, uh, disillusionment, and then really went down the rabbit hole. So that's a bit about my um, astrological journey. And I've now been a practicing astrologer for several years. And uh, who I am on LinkedIn, a bit about my background, I've worked in the tech industry for over 10 years now. Um, for the past seven years, I've worked, um, I've worked in various roles at a pretty large uh, technology company there. And uh, prior to that, worked for several years as a tech consultant. And my undergraduate degree, I went to MIT and my undergraduate degree is in bioengineering. And while I don't work in the bio space, one of the things that really drew me to studying that was I've always been really fascinated with why are people the way they are. I went in initially thinking I was going to be a geneticist and go on to do that. And then during undergrad, I realized oh, I kind of hate being in the lab. I don't really enjoy this. Um, as a researcher, you spend a ton of time alone. And just I realized this isn't necessarily what I want to do, but I still find it really uh, fascinating. So I since then have spent, one of my jokes is pretty much always I've spent my career as a technical person who knows how to talk to people. I really enjoy connecting with people. And I really love just understanding like, why are things the way they are? Why are people the way they are? Why is everything the way it is? And just really, I just really just like to poke holes in a lot of things is my short version of my personality. Well, humans are the most interesting computers around. Or as John C. Lilly called them, the human biocomputers, the software and the hardware. But some something you said about your background, I just want to circle back on it because you said you, you uh, went into astrology really skeptical. Kind of yes. like, let's see what this is. That's the way I've approached everything that I never do. And I did throw things out. It's not like all of them were legit. You know, I learned recently about Curlian photography or a photography. It's a mood ring. It's there's an actual mechanism that creates that it's totally arbitrary. Like it bugged me out. And I was like, oh, no Curlian photography for me. But I have to tell you, in my experience, the people who go into what they're studying skeptically make the best practitioners. There's something about that skepticism that cuts away noise. Like we're more inclined to remove things we don't need, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think it yeah. makes you less subject to self-fulfilling prophecies because I think if you come in really deeply hopeful something will work or that something is going to explain everything, you can really do a lot in your brain to make that happen. 
there's no reason why in like in drug trials, for example, they have a placebo group because it is such a powerful effect. And so I think coming in skeptical, uh, to use scientific terms, coming in with a null hypothesis, it essentially means that until proven otherwise, this is not going to work and this is there's no relation here, whatever it is you're studying. Um, coming in with the null hypothesis to life of like, I'm open to questioning this, but I'm assuming no until I'll proven otherwise. I think when entering these kind of, quote, woo spaces is a really good way to enter. Well, and, it, you know, people forget, like, what science is supposed to be, not the science or scientism as a religion, yeah. but science, even if your hypothesis is proven wrong in your experiment, you still learn something. Yes. It might even be more valuable than the version that affirms your hypothesis. So for whatever reason, everyone's in their feelings about confirmation bias now. It's a weird world, right? Yeah. Well, I think one of the, I, I'm stealing this from someone, but I forget who said it. So I just wanted to flag that this is not a shout out to me. But <laughs> uh, it counts. Yeah, yeah, it counts. So one of the things I always like expressions I really like is strong opinions that are weakly held. And I think what tends to happen a lot is people come in really deeply emotionally tied to their opinion, and that is really hard because it automatically puts you on the defensive about questioning your idea. And it can be really hard to lower your hackles and say, well, you're not actually attacking me. You are attacking this idea. And and that can be a really, really hard thing to separate out from. So I do. And I'm I'm human. I'm subject to that, too. But it is it, it can be a very hard thing when people come in very emotionally committed to an idea and really wanting it to work. And also not thinking it's emotional, their commitment. Yeah, there's a famous guy from the what's called the uh what is it the is it the internet dark web what was that called again the intellectual dark web the idw who's come out and said some interesting stuff in recent months and it hit me because he's a genius truly like objectively but he's just smart enough to be stupid he's kind he's one <laughs> of those examples of like because you can intellectualize i mean you went to mit you can intellectualize and sort of like thought masturbate all day long too and it doesn't mean that that's any more true than something that's just like folk knowledge or like someone around the corner from you who's a fisherman or a crabber or something might have some insight that that genius who's got himself all wrapped up in a ball of yarn doesn't yeah. have because he's all he's spun out somewhere so it's interesting man and so let's talk about astrology and we can start wherever you want, but I always like to ask people, like, what was the thing that got you thinking there might be something to this? And I'll preface that as well by saying it usually has something to do with a self-discovery, like a personal discovery that was relevant, that sort of radical self-awareness that comes from spiritual knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So what got, I guess what brought me to even searching, seeking, whatever word you want to use for it, is at the time I was in my late 20s. And living in New York City, and I remember thinking, on paper, my, it looks like my life is perfect, right? Like I have a fancy job, I have a wonderful husband, still have him, he's great. Um, but you know, he's it looks here. like he's still here, he's excellent. Um, but I remember thinking, on paper, my life looks absolutely perfect. So why do I feel this deep sense of disillusionment? Of now, what like? I set out to accomplish what I thought I wanted to accomplish, and now what? And so it really started with a bit of a like I, I would say a crisis of faith, almost of like, is this all there? Like, that is this all there is? It's just showing up to work, trying to climb a ladder, going home, rinse and repeat, keep staying on your hamster wheel. And uh, so I started searching, and actually, I there was um, a, a, an article about Chani Nicholas, who is like a huge OG astrologer. And her book was coming out at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm just kind of curious about this. Like, what the hell? Um, and read it. And, and by the way, that curiosity is so important. Yeah. Being curious is part of being skeptical because you're curious. You don't, skepticism means you don't know everything about everything. Yeah. And yeah, it's a it, thank you for mentioning just curiosity and pursuing it. So many people just are incurious. It blows my mind. Right. And, yeah, then I think sometimes curiosity can be scary because it can undermine your existing opinion if you get new information and, and don't want to update your opinion accordingly. So I was just really curious and read that. And it really deeply resonated everything in the book. And 
at the time. So I wound up deciding to like, you know what, let me go get a reading from a professional astrologer. I'm just curious what um, what this is. And honestly, it was chilling how accurate it was, how on point it was to the point where afterwards I went and Googled myself to see, was this information on the internet? And this woman stopped me beforehand. <laughs> like that's blessing. That level of accurate insights about me that I was like, how could you possibly know this or have a stranger say things to me that mm -hmm. honestly, even close friends, I don't think know about me or like dynamics in my life that people wouldn't have necessarily been familiar with. And that was, I think, the moment for me when it really snapped from like, eh, this is kind of interesting from like an anthropological viewpoint of like people have studied this for thousands of years. And that's when it switched from that viewpoint to there's really something to this. It's not just silly stuff for dumb people. Right. And I think yeah. one of the things that really has drawn me into astrology is it really implicates us as part of something larger than ourselves. So I think one of the things that I had thought about so much is, especially, you know, in this, we live in a very left-brained world in some ways. It's a very left-brained world. And it can lead to this very mechanistic way of viewing things of like me in here, you out there. I'm just like, I'm in my little meat suit to, to steal the skeptical shaman term for it. I'm in my little meat suit doing my meat suit things. You're in your meat suit doing your meat suit yeah. things. And like, that's all there is to it. And everyone around the world towards a dev right. event. And yeah, right, exactly. And I think one of the things both as an engineer and now as an astrologer you have to think about is that you're actually part of a much larger system whether you would like to acknowledge that or not and systems are notoriously chaotic and can be very hard to create and understand the connectedness between everything but everything is very interconnected and i think astrology really provides that sense of understanding that i am part of a larger cosmic play, whether I want to acknowledge that or not, or whether I think it's silly or not, I am part of something larger than myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why you see so much nihilism and depression and things like that in our society right now, is I think a lot of people are in the, oh my God, I'm just struggling to survive. I'm here in my meat yeah. suit doing my meat suit things. Is this all there is to it? And God, don't, it's like the wily e. Coyote thing from the cartoons, whatever you do, don't look down. Yeah, because when you look down, that's when you fall. And I think there's this lock in momentum, just don't look down thing yeah. that happens in our world a lot of the time. I think it's partially engineered. By the way, that's my, I'll put my crazy tinfoil <laughs> hat on for a second. But you said something that made me think of the brilliant evolutionary biologist, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hang, who wrote, what was it? The Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Something like that. Or is it the Hunter yeah. Gatherer's Dilemma? Is it, it, no, that's, I'm thinking of Michael See, Pollard. you do the same thing. Because I was going to say the Omnivore's Guide. Like, I splice the two books, the Michael uh, Pollock book, and they're, that's so weird that uh, that came up. But they always say, like, welcome to complex systems. Like, when yeah. something aberrant happens that, quote, no one predicted or could see. And their whole point is, like, there's so much here that we don't understand. There are systems and processes and mutual symbiosis between all kinds of things. And, you know, with us and the planets, with the sun and the moon and all of those celestial bodies, it's actually a bit silly to think that those massive objects in space around us, while we're on one of those objects, have no influence. Like that just on its face sort of doesn't make sense because we know the moon at a minimum controls tides in the ocean. Like we know that that's a real thing. So what is the sun up to when, you know, the sun's doing weird shit? What does that mean for us down here? Never mind, you know, all of our other friends. Mercury's retrograde right now. Whereas I, I just think it's really funny to say Mercury's in Gatorade. It's just one of those <laughs> funny internet meme-isms. Because, you know, people don't really know what it is most of the time they say it anyway. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of those planets? And maybe you want to tell us a bit about, like, what's going on through your unique engineering view of astrology the purpose of a system is what it does yes yes so i guess i'll talk a little bit about like a system's viewpoint to a birth chart and for people who are not familiar with what a birth chart is um the very quick second summary of it is a birth chart essentially is a map of where every planet was at the moment you were born so what time uh, the time it was what's and people often 
a pretty comfortable with their sun signs, but you actually have like every planet in a sign somewhere in your chart. Even Pluto, he has not been downgraded out of planet status in uh, astro charts, um, even if astronomers would call it a dwarf planet now. Uh, but essentially, it's a map of where every planet is at a given time. And you, when some people are pretty familiar with the term rising sign, some are not, but essentially a rising sign is just what sign of the zodiac was on the eastern horizon at the moment uh, you were born. So when you look at all of this together, it actually looks like a pretty complex picture, but all these planets in your chart are communicating with one another. And I think what a birth chart somewhat suggests is that you can't view anything, um, can't view anything in isolation. Right. So, um, and so I think that sometimes can, one of the things that drives me nuts about like horoscopes and like sun, uh, what some would call sun sign astrology is the number of times I get people asking like, well, I'm an Aries. What does that mean? And you're like, I don't know. I need to look at your chart and understand like yeah. all the different aspects of snake. How, again, how interconnected everything is. How an Aries sun, someone who's an Aries sun um, with one chart might be very different than how someone with an Aries sun behaves in another chart. And it's a most reductionist. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. It, exactly. It can be a, that's a perfect word for it. It can be over, like, oversimplifying to fit a curve. You know, it can be an oversimplification. I'm a living inversion of the memes of what it is to be a cancer because cancer is my sun sign. It's always like, oh, you love like babies and puppies and baking. And it's always like so weird cartoon of some woman wrapped under a blanket. <laughs> I can't think of anything that's less me yeah. just well, as I, a read. It's so weird. And it's hard because people want, to, again, there's a point to simplifying things because you want people to be able to try to grasp onto something and understand it. Um, to go on a little cancer rabbit hole real quick, I always think of cancer. I I always think for every zodiac sign, it's really wise to look at the animal that's associated with it. And with cancer, it's the crab. And so I always think of a cancer, the the side that, of it that tends to get a lot of attention is the soft underbelly side of the crab. Like, oh, you're yeah. nurturing, you're warm, you're this, you're that. But cancer could actually be, you know, you can totally have claws up. It can be a very defensive sign. It can be a very protective sign. It can be a sign that is really good at going out and getting things done. And so it's funny that actually a lot of entrepreneurs are cancers. Like Elon Musk is a cancer. I think Richard Branson is a Don't quote me on that. But, but I, Dana White, who owns the UFC, is a cancer. And I yes. think that's classic cancer because he'll swear at press conferences and be like, I don't know. What do you want? I'm hungry. Yeah. Can we go home now? It's very funny. Yeah. Right. And so I think cancer... There's two sides to it of like like many signs. There's a it's a much more archetypally complex than that can be made out to be. So I think that looking from a systems perspective and from an archetypal perspective, charts are much more complex than just like, well, I'm an Aries. What does that mean? And so that's kind of a little bit of how to think about a chart and its you know inherent complexity, just as like our living experience as humans is intrinsically yeah. complex. Yeah, so, and people, for whatever reason, they like the uh, the finiteness of things. They're really sound bitey yes. and like small and contained. They like that with, you know, I do tarot card readings. I do psychic work. And they don't like to get into the messy detail or the, you know, the biggest uh, corollary. This just hit me with tarot between astrology. It's like if you give someone a card reading, and they ask what the cards are and you're showing them, but they're interdependent. A card writing yeah. isn't all these individual cards in just showing up, meaning what they mean. It's their placement. It's what's near them. It's what's influencing them. It's the same sort of concept. And I'll get an email and they'll be like, yeah, but the Ten of Swords is really bad. I go, not near reading. Yeah. Like the context, nuance, there's like they're, it, the devil's in the details. Yeah. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So if you yeah. try to break it down very piecemeal, it's not go. It, it's building a larger picture. And, you know, you could even think of a tarot reading as like you are creating a system of cards and how are they yeah. all interacting with each other and systems intrinsically are create complexity in and of themselves in any individual aspect of the system. So I just so you know, by the way, anyone who's going through a Saturn return when they come in for a reading, because it's like a little snapshot of their data in that moment in time, that's the reading, you see it. It's a bloodbath. Every Saturn return. So I'll ask people, like, are you like 26, 27? Like, yeah, are you, where, where are we at relative to this shit show? Yeah. Worth noting that when I 
got into astrology, unbeknownst to me at the time, I was in the heart of my Saturn return. <laughs> so yeah, so that does it. That that'll do it of making this big transition from young adulthood to middle, like pretty much going from a kid to like, I think if your first Saturn return is you start realizing that things are finite and you don't have forever. So what exactly are you doing with your time? And it's a big, there's a lot of, there's a ton of things you could say about a Saturn return, but I think it makes you grapple with the finite in a way that when you are younger, you don't have to. So I think it's very common to your point to see people coming in for tarot readings, coming in for astrology readings and stuff yeah. um, during during that time period. So we have Mercury in retrograde. That's sort of the most basic bitch one of like celestial events right now. Um, I like retrogrades. They don't yeah. bother me. Things get... It's funny because I always tell myself things get slower. And my husband sort of like raised an eyebrow at me yesterday. And he's like, it's not, you're not slow. Like that's, you're creating some kind of weird, like you're dissociating or something because <laughs> it's not that slow. But I always like when things externally are going linearly and you're not in the super yang of getting stuff done. I think it's good for us. Maybe I welcome it because I'm addicted to doing stuff, but do you have any thoughts on that? Or, you know, are we in, are five planets retrograde? Am I making that up? I forget the exact number right now, but having Venus and Mercury both retrograde at the moment is, that's what those are two saying. pretty key planets to have in retrograde at the same time. So I guess let's talk first about Mercury. That happens about approximately four times a year for three weeks at a time. And I often think of Mercury retrograde, Mercury being our planet of communication. How do we perceive the world? How do we perceive the world around us? Because perception is the first step in then thinking and communicating outwards. And so I think of Mercury retrograde is often a time of like reflecting inward and, and taking that communication internally and not necessarily starting new things, but revisiting past themes and past thoughts and calming through that with, um, you know, with a fine tooth calm and taking that time to reflect. And so I don't actually find retrogrades intrinsically bad. Some, some, some can be rougher than others for sure. But I think more so what happens is we live in a society that doesn't like to have that inward reflected time. So if you keep trying to move forward, um, outward, taking all this action, it can feel like swimming upstream of like where, the way of the vibe and the energy that's currently ongoing. And it's also like accidents happen, but like, I don't know if you know anything about Scientology. You're not really allowed to be sick or injured in Scientology because they need you constantly productive. And like, I just see our society increasingly cult like, yeah. right? And they're like, well, we don't care that the utility pole fell and you don't have internet right now. Go figure it out. Like, we need you to keep. So we all have this stress, I think, about like, I don't have the time or capacity or resources to fix this uh, yeah, or you deal with it because it's not like what was in my schedule today. Right. Exactly. We live in a time of immense time scarcity. And mm -hmm. in some ways, I think all humans have always felt this way, but definitely in our modern world and the rate of technological development, we thrive in a time of time scarcity, feeling like there isn't enough time and uh, the cult of productivity and just yeah. you need to always be producing. You are measured by what you output. Uh, and that goes back to we live in a very mechanistic world. And so if we can't see your tangible output, it's not real. By the way, I had an Amazon driver drop off some Epsom salt last night, kind of late when we were watching, like late, like 945, right? And I was like, who's on the front porch? Yeah, so who was breaking into my home? Yeah, it's not. Well, we've had so many people come to the door. Because by the way, in the utility pole example, that happened to me. The pole <laughs> fell in the backyard. So we've had two weeks of guys literally at night, like knocking on the door, like, hey, what's going on? Uh, you're looking at the pole. Like, it's the whole thing. So I open the door and he's standing out there and he's trying to get a picture of the delivery because he can't leave until he takes a picture of it. So like, unless it's like documented, no one believes it. And he goes, and your feet can't be in the frame. I'll get fired. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like, what are we doing to people? Yeah. You know, like, it just made me feel bad for him in that moment. It's that, you know, how productive are you? Show me the proof of it. Where's the, where's the picture? Can you imagine taking a picture of what you do during your work day? Yeah, I have measured that way. That's crazy. Oh, how dehumanizing is that? And it's deeply. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How dehumanizing is that? Is that way to be? And I think that's why you see an uptick in interest in things like tarot, astrology, mm -hmm. other um, 
practices to help connect you to a more spiritual way of existing. Because I think people have just been really sucked dry for every ounce of productivity they're worth and they're tired. Yep. And then on the other side of that productivity, they're expected to consume. Man, if you don't consume, you're a problem for the system. It's wild. So yeah, Mercury, you're right. When he goes retrograde, it's kind of like the middle finger to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Did it as a little gift or a little respite or a little moment in that rat race? It would shift it for us a little bit. Yes, and it and again, it's hard. Sometimes life happens. So being like you know, so one of the some of the classic advice you'll read for Mercury retrograde is: don't start new projects, don't sign any contracts, don't do, don't travel. And it's like okay, but a three week period in our modern day is actually really hard to like follow that advice. And so that's where I think it helps you to have context of like the real world and how people live and that life does happen. And sometimes you just need to make the best of the energy given the given where you are. So a lot of it with retrograde uh, retrograde time with Mercury is if you have to move forward on things, really go over it with a fine tooth comb, like check, check and triple check ev- every bit of work and just really try to move carefully because it can feel like a lot of friction to move forward and get anything done because it's just really trying to swim upstream of the current energy. So when Venus is retrograde, how does that bang us up? Venus, the... Yes. Isn't it that Taurus's planet? Am I making that up? Yes. Venus is the ruler of both Taurus and Libra. So it's naturally affiliated with both So signs of Taurus being like, we could totally nerd out on all of this, but I shall spare you. But the short version is Taurus is like the feminine version of uh, Taurus is considered a feminine or yin sign. And Libra is considered a masculine or yin sign, um, since Libra is air, Taurus is earth. And so like so every planet in traditional astrology rules both a masculine and a feminine sign. And so so Venus being retrograde, like it's always really important for us to think about what does Venus represent? And Venus represents our values. So what do we value? What's important to us? What do we like? What do we dislike? What do we find beautiful? What gives us um, what gives us a sense of beauty? What gives us a sense of connection to other people? Um, connection is a really big one with Venus. Um, and then, you know, it's straightforward, but beauty, what's harmonious? What's aesthetically pleasing to look at? Uh, and so mm. during, when Venus is in retrograde, it's really a good time to reflect inward on, I, I think of it as a time to reflect inward on values. So how am I spend, like spending my time? How am I spending my money? One of my running jokes is always like, show me like show me what someone spends their time and money on and I can tell you their Venus sign. Um, because Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, because think about it. That's what, that's, you know, time and money are the things that are very finite. And so- Just, you know, I'm pulling like, up my birth chart. I'm way too interested in this to not look at it. I don't remember I, where my- um, Venus is. I, I want to see it's in is, Aries. I think yours is in Leo, actually. If I have okay, to. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I think it is. It's in Leo. Yes. yes, and so I show. Yeah, so show me your bank account and show me your calendar, and I will tell you your Venus sign. Um, and so, but when Venus is in retrograde, it's a really good time to reflect inward on our values. What do we? Um, so it can be how am I spending my time? I think my internet cut out. One I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, how am I spending my time? How am I spending my money? Uh, so from a higher level, you can do that. Sometimes it's really simple things too, from like beauty routines, thinking about, I wouldn't recommend someone make a drastic change. Ugh. All right. Can you still hear me? My computer. Yes. And I can out. see you. Excellent. Okay. Great. Uh, it opens. It's mercury. It is. This is very mercury and retrograde having technology go haywire and just be like, hee hee hee, your internet connection. Uh, but anyway, so Venus being in retrograde, it can be a really good time even to revisit beauty routines. Like, how do you show up physically in the world? So, if I, I'm not planning on doing this, but I have brown hair, if I were thinking about, you know what, what would it be like to go platinum blonde? It's a good time to think about that and think about how do I want to show up differently. Like, I'll actually give a very tangible example of my own life. I recently went back to work after coming off of maternity leave, and I've been thinking about. Maybe I want to redo my wardrobe. How do I want to show up? I wouldn't recommend like executing on it during that time, but thinking about taking the time to reflect, how do I want to physically look? Um, how do I want to 
show, like, yeah, present myself in the world. So it can be a really good time for reflecting on our values and our beauty routines in a really simple way. It's funny because all I've been doing is self-care. Like I went to the dermatologist yesterday because I always think everything is cancer. <laughs> I was Virgo rising. Things happen, you know? Yeah. It's just better to know and got my roots done the day before. You know, like it's just all the things. And we've been cleaning out the house, getting everything organized because we're having people come for this event at the end of September, yeah. right? And I have two people, friends staying with me. But it's been enjoyable to like take the time, even though I'm busy, to like go through a closet. And it is a values assessment. Like that mean little Japanese lady, Marie Kondo, she's yeah. she's correct about things where it's like, I haven't used this in years. What is like, why do I care? You have to assess things internally if you want yes. to get to that more uh, desirable aesthetic state in your house, as an example. Yeah, yes. going through your wardrobe being like, I'm not going to wear Brooks Brothers anymore. There's a weird part of me. That always thinks I'm going to be homeless. And it, this is how messed up my brain is. I will be so poor that I'll need to go back to quote a real job and I'll need a Brooks Brothers sheath dress. Like that's insane. That's crazy people thinking. If you're that poor, the shift dress isn't going to do anything for you. It's wild. Well, you know, it can be really hard with things like Marie Kondo where it's like, oh, it just doesn't spark joy. Get rid of it. But Money and possessions play very deeply in our psyche. And so yes. if you've grown up like not having a lot, the concept of minimalism, when you've actually had times where you genuinely can't afford things or don't have things, things take on a level of emotional value in a way that I think for people who have always felt like they've had enough financially, they don't. So it's like, well, I get rid of this. And then if I need to buy another one, I can just buy another one. Yeah. And if you've been in the situation where you can't do that, it's a lot harder to punt it or there's a lot more of like, but what if I need this? But you're totally right that cleaning out your home is both a very good like Mercury in retrograde thing and a very yeah. good Venus in retrograde. And they touch on different aspects of it. So like, for instance, cleaning out a home office and going through that very Mercury in retrograde, cleaning out your wardrobe, very Venus in retrograde. Like what is yeah. no longer serving me here? What are old ways that I have been showing up in the world and what needs to potentially be let go of? Do you remember Sonia Morgan's townhouse on Real Housewives in New York City? And she never threw anything out. And people would come over and like work with her on it. And it was wild. And she'd be like, well, this hairdryer doesn't work. And this other one doesn't work. But it has a part that the other one needs if it's ever going to work. And one of the other women came over. And by the way, it's a $20 million townhouse yes. on the other side, right? Like, and this woman's like, throw them out. Like, just snaps. It was Dorinda. She's like, put it in the garbage. That's a hairdryer from 1972. I know because I owned it. Yeah, 1972. Like, let it go. And Sonia, and she said something brilliant. She goes, I just always see myself like shaking the tin can at the subway. And it's like, but you're very far from that right now. Like it's, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. So getting through some of those issues. Now, more importantly, we have stuff happening with Saturn and Pluto that hasn't happened since the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And I have to tell you, I thought of you yesterday because this little kid in school, he was such a boss. He's such a meme now. He'll never live it down. He's, we forgot what great he is, but he's young and he had this big backpack. And I think it's called the Gadsden flag was on it. And it's from your neck of the woods. I think it's yeah. a symbol. Is it New Hampshire? Don't tread on me. It's not actually. So it started in the Revolutionary War because it's like the right. 13 pieces of the snake with the idea of or die. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So then it kind of got appropriated. It kind of got taken by like other groups, but it essentially started with the Revolutionary War. It gets flown a lot in my neck of the woods in New Hampshire because it's a little bit of militant libertarians up here. Totally. And so that's what I've always associated with because, you know, I know libertarians and anarcho-capitalists <laughs> that who are just like, stop taxing me. Like, that's what yeah. I've always seen it as and nothing else, probably because I don't hang out with white supremacists. I don't go to biker gang rallies. Like, I live yeah. a pretty mundane life. But this little kid, it was one of the patches on his backpack. Number one, the backpack was the size of him, which I totally related to because I would bring all my books to every class, <laughs> just like that goddamn kid. He had a Michael, like Michael the Archangel tag, like badge on his back. He's just a dork in the best way. And he got in trouble and his teacher kicked him out of class for wearing this badge. And this like, the video went viral on the internet because the mom showed up. And the mom's like, it's the Gadsden Plates from the American Revolution. Because the teacher's like, well, it's from the Civil War and it's it's a sign of slavery. And the mom's like, mm, no, like you don't need to like it or let it in class, but that's actually not what it is. And this whole thing went back and forth. So he went back to school wearing American Revolution hat, 
like that our army wore, you know, the three pointed hat. Yeah. Looking to rock that hat going into school. And I was like, that kid is neurodivergent and hilarious. And he just, he's like, it's just wrong. So now it's like a thing and I got to do this. Right. But, and it struck me the timing of that with the revolutionary zodiac astrology. Yes. Yeah. So with, yes. Yeah. So with Cluto moving in and out of Aquarius, like I think we're at the moment it's edged back into Capricorn, but it's pretty much flirting back and forth between being a Capricorn and Aquarius right now. Tug of war. It really is a tug of war. And so with Pluto moving into Aquarius, Pluto is a planet really has this way of making us all look at the things we don't want to look at, right? Like Pluto is like, okay, we're going down to the basement to do some cleaning and look at what like and look at the foundations here. We really need to look at what lies beneath. We need really. That's need literally what Sonia Dorinda did with Sonia was go to the basement of the townhouse, and she, it was like floor to ceiling boxes. And Dorinda's like, "What's in these? Like, yes. what is this crypt that yes. needs to get looked at?" Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it it really is that type of energy, that very underworld energy. Like it's not um it's not without reason that Pluto is the Roman god of the underworld, Hades in Greek mythology. And it really has a way of making us examine. Pluto is a planet of radical acceptance is probably what it is of like, I need to actually open my eyes. Look at what's actually here. I can't keep pretending anymore. The emperor has no clothes and we need to acknowledge that the emperor has no clothes. By the way, when you said that I got full body chills, there's no phrase that better sums up. I know it's a children's book and like a fable. There's nothing that better summarizes our world. Yeah. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Yes. It's a wizard. The Wizard of Oz, right? Like, don't look at, don't look, just keep, don't ask too many questions because once you start pulling that thread, you're like, am I going to unravel the entire sweater? And then I'm going to be, yeah. And think about how vulnerable you are if you unravel the sweater you're wearing. So it can be a really uncomfortable energy. So anytime that Pluto is moving through a sign, it really makes us have to work with the shadow material of that sign and examine it. And it's also a time of profound transformation because with, think about, when you are transforming something like your basement, your home, etc., you can't change anything if you're not willing to change anything. And it sounds really simple and obvious, but you have to first look at what is not broken and purge what is not what is not working to create space for new life to grow there. So I think with Pluto moving through Aquarius, there's going to be a lot of key themes. I think a lot of it is going to be looking at the systems. I, I know I, I feel like if people were playing a drinking game to systems during this call, they'd be very drunk by now. By the way, I'm going to put in the notes that they should play that game just so they can <laughs> a little party. Save this <laughs> for a day when you're drinking. Go back to the beginning. Listen to it. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. Have yes, exactly. Exactly. So please play the systems drinking game to this podcast episode. Thank you. Um, But it's going to really make us look at like, what are the systems we current currently have in place and like what is no longer working for us and what needs to change? Uh, in order to have a more equitable system, ideally. And because last night with Amazon, that system, whatever that is, however they're measuring its success as a human being, what you pointed out, it's broken. That's broken. That's not a humanity serving system. That needs to, that shit, we got to get rid of it. They don't get bathroom breaks. It's wild. Yeah. That goes on in some of these companies. It's deeply dehumanizing. And Aquarius is a sign that is all about the collective. It's all about we are part of something larger than ourselves here. And how do these different systems we're part of affect each other? And really acknowledging that we aren't just like isolated beings. We are part of something and keeping that in mind when we're making our uh, decisions there. So I think you're going to see a lot of everything can be reduced to the sum of its parts. You know, that this kind of zero-based budgeting thing consultants have brought into the world. Yeah, it's like, yeah, but those five minutes, what's the output? What's this? What's this? It's like you're losing a lot in the mix there. There's a lot that you can't measure. And it's that human component, I think. Yes, exactly. Because people really, one of the things where systems can go awry is when you try to oversimplify them and you lose a lot of, and it's always a trade-off, right? Between making it comprehensible and complexity. And so the more complex it is, it's really hard to comprehend what's actually going on. But when you make it simpler, you lose a lot of like important nuance and aspects that are affecting uh, that are affecting the outcome. And you lose you a lot of ready. Edward Tufte's book, The Cognitive Style of PowerPoint. No, but 
That he's a design thinker, not a systems thinker, but he's an architect and all this stuff. And he had an example in there about someone took all this really complicated information. They worked at NASA and they put it in a PowerPoint. And, you know, PowerPoint styles three by three, like three bullets, three words That's kind of stuff. And to fit it on the slide, they truncated a decimal point value. They used that as their source document. And I think I might be making a mistake on which spaceship blew up as a result of it, but he made a case that it was, I think, the Challenger. Yes. And it was because of oversimplifying shit that shouldn't be simplified. Yeah. And he also, to make a point, put the Gettysburg Address in PowerPoint, and it's so stupid. It sounds <laughs> so stupid. It's like, nation in trouble, need to fix it. Like, that's, he's showing what happens to information when it goes into something like PowerPoint. So to your point, there's like a, you know, learning what, content goes where what systems work where in what moment versus one size fits all because that That's, doesn't do much yeah exactly and then also too our relationship with technology is really being brought into will be it's already being brought into question i mean it's not lost on me that like the surge of chat gpt and everyone talking about bard and all and like generative ai in general is happening right around this time is like Pluto first in, uh, ingressed into Aquarius, right? Like it's not lost on me uh, that timing and that that is occurring because we are going to have to answer questions like what is like, what is intelligence? Can something that is intelligent be conscious? Are they mutually exclusive with one another? What happens when machines can do people's jobs better than they can? What do we do with the people? What do we do with the people? So I think required reading for the age of Pluto and Aquarius should be Player Piano by Kurt Vonnegut because it he talk about someone who was such a genius and I'm pretty sure was psychic he um oh yeah but he wrote that, sure. I think he wrote that in the early 1950s about what happens when people when most people are rendered obsolete because machines can do your job far better than you can do it um and what happens there and we've been seeing that with globalization um the last time the Pluto was in Aquarius we like was really the kickoff of like the industrial revolution so seeing all these technologies come forth and like talk about technologies that absolutely change the world, like the steam engine, the cotton gin, like why? You know, like, you know, Steiner would say that's when we entered what he calls the Aramonic age of yeah. materialism and trinkets. And you know, it's fascinating. He's a weird He's real sorry. One of the things that people really want to nerd out, and this is in the weeds, but he's absolutely right, because one of the things you can look at is the cycle of Jupiter and Saturn and what signs they conjunct in. And so for the past 200 years or so, they have been consistently um, conjunct one another in Earth signs. And then they've now they're shifting into air signs. And for people who are not familiar with astrology, Earth is all about like the material, uh, the financial, what Earth is. If I cannot see it, it is not real. If I cannot hold it, it is not real. And air is a very conceptual element. It's all about ideas, communication, ethereal, like, right, can you see air? Not really. And so it's really, we are going through this radical shift where Pluto, or not, sorry, not Pluto, Saturn and Jupiter have started making that transition in the early 1980s. I think they were conjunct one another in Libra, an air sign. But the most, the last time that they will be conjunct in an earth sign happens, I think at the end of 2020 in the sign of Capricorn. And now for another 600 years, they will not be conjunct one another in an earth sign again. So it's about 200 years. It's a very cool cycle to nerd out to. But we asked, like, so I don't know if he was an astrologer, but he hit the head on the nail. Oh, but one believed um, that the celestial bodies had an impact on us. He focused his work on the sun and the moon for the most part, some other things. He was an interesting weirdo. Um, he is the uh, creative mind behind the older schools. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which are sort of like the antidote to some of the Montessori stuff that are very uh, in mutual opposition, shall we say. And I learned that Sidney Gottlieb's wife created the Montessori schools. And Sidney Gottlieb was our country's, his nickname was Poisoner-in-Chief. There's a book by the same name where he designed um, MKUltra and our bioweapons programs. At his rate, Montessori made them. Established the Montessori schools and a spiritualist Aust Austrian named Rudolf Steiner who <laughs> believed in an aramonic demon age came up with the Waller school. So wow. it's wild out there. It really is. It is a it's a wild it is a wild time to be a human sometimes. But I think one of the cool things about astrology though is like I sometimes think to myself, oh wow, what a wild time to be a human. But astrology, if nothing else, makes you really have to look at time as a cyclic thing. And it reminds mm -hmm. you that 
Actually, we're not the first humans to live through a really destabilizing hard time. We're not the first people to live through Pluto and Aquarius. We are not hopefully going to be the last people, but we are not. At least it's not the younger Dryas impact. That would suck a lot harder if a giant chunk hit the Earth and (laughs) sent us all into cataclysm for the next thousand years. I'll take this one. This is good. Yeah. 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 So I think astrology can make us in some ways just feel less alone out there because it makes you realize that you are part of a larger cycle a narrative that goes far beyond anything us as individual humans are capable of understanding. I have to admit to you that when I saw this confluence between what's happening with um, Pluto in Capricorn Aquarius and the American Revolutionary War and the French Revolution, right? Yeah. I was like, good. And I know that's sort of sick, but there's a rot to things now and not like we should go full guillotines. Yeah. <laughs> like France really got wild with it. Yeah. France went crazy. We were actually much more well behaved, I would say. Our our revolution was sort of chill. You know, some guys in wakes getting together in pubs and shooting people out in open fields during the daylight. It was yeah. one of those things. Well, but I wanted to kind of come down, at least things that don't work. Do you think that that's going to happen soon or we'll see the first hints of it? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think you do see a lot of discontent already and people advocating for saying like this system is really not working for me i think you are like trying to measure see- kicking out france yes like that like yeah. you know, saying the system is really not working for me uh even it's been interesting watching like return to office efforts and you kind of like you know pluto and capricorn capricorn being like um the elder like tradition how things are done so you almost it almost feels like this modern day version of like the feudal lords trying to call the serfs back and the serfs being like yeah. not coming and <laughs> now so and also I, like I have to see you working to believe you're working. I have, which yeah. is, it's wild. You would know yeah. if someone didn't have work product, right? It's right. such a weird thing to be fixated on. Right. So I don't necessarily want to call for overt revolutions that are happening, but I would I guess I'll put it at like I wouldn't be surprised and I do think it will be a time of just a lot of people continuing to really challenge things that we thought were very well established. Yeah. Well, Kate Let's pull a card and then we'll let everybody know where they can find you if you're taking new clients. Because by the way, she does have a job and a new child who is named after the coolest figure ever in in (laughs) English history. It's the best name ever. (laughs) So do you have a question? Do you want to ask about anything? Either about what we've talked about or anything else? You know, I'm just willing to let the cards speak for themselves. And like, sometimes they just have a way of telling you what you need to know. You know, well, and if we don't do this, our sponsor, the Totem Tarot deck, you know, I'll get a scathing email from that bitch on the wheels. <laughs> I like joking that, like, the creator of the deck is a tyrant. It's funny to me for some reason. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, everyone who's listening, it is me. So, you know, I may have entered a full disassociative identity disorder phase of my life. We'll see. I mean, there's a popular system of psychology right now called interfamily systems. That's all about uh, the core tenet behind it is that we all have different parts and they all interact with each other and play core different roles. And and that and it's pretty fascinating. I would encourage people to look it up. But I I always laugh that it's like this is like a socially acceptable version of looking at an astro birth chart. Yeah, and it's very Jungian, it sounds like. You know, yeah. the archetypal kind of like which version of me are you going to get? So look, you got the happiest card of all time ever. It makes me happy. The two yeah. of moons, the two of cups card. What I love about this, number one is I never realized how kind of, I know it's lunar, like moons, but it also looks sort of planetary, doesn't it? Yeah, it really has a little eclipse. Yeah, and a convergence too of things. Things coming together and you know, in addition to it being, of course, about love, and mutual symbiosis, friendship, life partnership that's working, like a working relationship, it also has a lot to do with things sort of converging in a way that generates this unexpected insight or value. And we were just talking about two planets going back and, or, or Hades, listen to me, Hades, Pluto going back and forth between Saturn and uh, Uranus. Yeah. And, like the maybe the values in the tug and the tension like it's maybe it's not tension maybe they're like soulmates and they're creating something i love that and one of the things too that i think the tension is good i think life is inherently unknowable i think 
there's never a resolute answer to most things. And I think the best we can do is just learn to live with the fact that there isn't that there are polarities and there's no hope of resolution sometimes between the two of them. And it's learning how to be comfortable with that with that tension. Okay. Society doesn't want to hear that. They want everybody <laughs> saying the same thing and thinking the same thing. And I what's amazing to me is a lot of people who want that. They want sort of like they don't use this word, but they want groupthink. It makes them feel safe that there aren't people opposing them or orthodox, heterodox views like that's upsetting them. They view those people often as evil, yeah. whether or not they really are. What they don't get is if we create like a monocrop of humans and ideas, we're going to be really brittle. Yeah. Like the tension creates like it, it makes us diverse in a lot of yeah. ways, different people doing different things at different times. As a Aquarius concept of the whole, it makes the whole healthier, I think. Yeah. There's, you know, I think the Capricorn Aquarius tension where Pluto's going back and forth right now really taps at an, a really archetypal tension that humans have and that we're always torn between this polarity between security and freedom, right? And now there's no, again, there's no correct answer to there. You need both and finding that balance at any given time. If you have, too much security you feel very locked in you're very like you can't explore your individuality at all if you have all freedom and no security it's really like it's really destabilizing for your mind we are very hardwired as humans to seek security and want certainty so i tend to be feel very compassionate for the fact that people really want a certain answer because we're so wired for that as humans Um, but i think it's learning how to just live with the ambiguity as probably the biggest thing being an engineer has taught me is that yeah, there's a lot of ambiguity and you just need to figure out how to represent that as best as possible and how to accept the fact that there is ambiguity and that is what's beautiful about the human existence. Yeah, and I think we're what I like too about the Two of Moons card is it has a lot to do with meeting individuals that you like being around that are different from you. It's not always a romantic or sexual love. Yeah. It could just be friendships. So look out for those, everybody, including you, Kate. Yeah. Kate, let everybody know where they can find you and if you're taking clients, how that works because your job's a little aggressive if you're a new <laughs> human. And all yeah. those things are very time-consuming. Yes. So feel free to add me on Instagram. I'm Kronos Astrology. Kronos is C-R-O-N-O-S. Uh, feel free to DM me to set up readings. I'm taking clients on a very, very limited basis because as Rachel mentioned, I have a full-time job in the tech industry and I have a little human who is reliant on reliance on me being a parent. So I am a little bit more limited in time, but I am taking clients on a very selective basis right now. Yeah. And, you know, keep an eye out, follow her on Instagram. She may come up with stuff. We may go live. I have to tell you too, in the last two days leading up to this, the references to Kronos and Saturn have been everywhere. And someone I met, I did her podcast, her name, her fake name, and it's adorable as Card ZB, which I think is really funny. <laughs> I lost out her book and it's called The Saturn Diary. And I got it today, like it showed up in the mail today. So right before this, it was really weird. So Kronos was around and he's he's cheeky. Yeah, he's here. He gets a bad rap in a lot of astrological texts. But I mean, I did my practice after, uh, you know, Kronos being Greek version of Saturn. I did my practice after it. I think Saturn is a really good teacher. Uh, so I'm glad he's here. Yeah, he's here, man. Okay, well, thanks, Kate. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Rachel.